and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing, mate? I'm hot, Ryan. I'm very hot. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Um, for our international listeners, if you're not in the UK, uh, the UK is currently going through its most severe heat wave in its history. Um the Met Office, which is uh, the company that deals with our weather, right? They have issued what is a red warning for heat. This has never, ever been issued in the UK before because we are expecting 40 plus degrees of heat. That's not normal. And I'm not, right, I need to get this off the bat because I'm annoyed at people thinking things. Like if you're from like America or Australia and you're going, that's not that deep, right? Silence yourself. Our houses are built decades ago to to retain heat that's the purpose of our houses because we're quite a cold country but global warming has put a stop to that and now we're not that cold of a country anymore but our houses are still built to retain heat we had we don't have air conditioning uh it's very humid and i want to die i looked at a stat this morning 0.5 percent of british homes have air conditioning so not even one percent no no and i'm in that 90 9.5 whatever it is and also if you put a fan in front of your face it just pushes hot air at you faster <laughs> yeah um but basically uh what what does this mean well it means that uh for us in britain anyway uh it is a possibly a a very live example of global warming in action i believe so this is very uncommon and we've been told that this is probably something we could expect to see not just next month but like next year and then possibly the year bef- after that and so on. But now the so worrying thing is, we need to completely redo our entire infrastructure to make ourselves be- built for this heat. We can't. Our, our, our fucking runways are melting. And I've, I saw a tweet from someone from Spain being like, "We usually get this temperature, and our runways don't melt." And I was like, "Yeah, our tarmac is literally different because it's built to like withstand the cold." <laughs> yeah, that's the thing in it. That's the thing. It, it, it has it has a high, like a lower melt and a high melt. Either way, it fucking melts. But an like, RAF base had to close because it was melting. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, the roads are melting. So if, if if anyone wants to like attack us, now's the time. We're fucked. We're in panic mode. Also, just just a little thing in Spain. Spain, hi Spain. Um, if you get consistently cold weather, like in your winters, like we can sometimes get. Your train tracks will be fucked, mate, because they will shrink so bad they'll crack. Like, and then and then we'll be laughing. Then we'll laugh at you and say, "Well, our train tracks don't shrink and crack." <laughs> I saw a tweet from National Rail. They were going around painting the train tracks white just to try and like so they wouldn't absorb heat. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. That's really it's, cool. I had, I had a friend who took a train journey yesterday, and obviously, like some of our trains have air conditioning, some of them are quite old and don't. And Christ, I would know. Yeah, uh, my thoughts and prayers go to anyone on the London Underground. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So I, I also found another thing. This was a few years ago uh, when uh, both James, you and I used to work in London together. Uh, I used to sometimes get the Central Line, which is for anyone again, oh. if you've not been to London before, uh, on the Tube network. The Central Line is the red one. It's, I think, the lowest one. It's the deepest one, I think, in the network. It's also the hottest. It's the fucking worst one. It goes, it, it's so it, it's so deep. What it does is it actually goes into the bowels of hell and then comes out the other end because it's seriously <laughs> fucking hot on that platform, right? <clears throat> and um, there's a law in the UK that you cannot transport live cattle uh, 
uh, above the temperature of 30 degrees. I believe that's the right thing. So you can't put your mm. cows or your sheep that are going to be killed anyway to be put on dinner plates. You cannot transport them if the temperature is over 30 degrees. And yet human beings are being like squashed onto the tube like sardines when it's so i have a, a friend uh we're all doing our final journalism projects at the minute and my friend is doing his quite aptly on climate change and how cities specifically london are kind of like building for it and so he's hit the fucking gold mine with this heat wave it's given him so much stuff to write about and he traveled around on the tube network i think it was saturday when it, it wasn't it was like i think surface temperature was like what 25 and I think the hottest he got was on the central line at Notting Hill Gate. It got to 37. And that was when yeah. the surface temperature was 25. Yeah. The surface temperature is now 40. That's what incredible. What the fuck is it like down there? Yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah, for, for, for central line, whatever it is outside, probably add five on central line. <laughs> it's, it's unacceptable. I don't think anyone should be working. Like I'm quite lucky the fact that where I live, uh, I live by the sea. Uh, there's quite a nice breeze today. It didn't get that hot. If anything, I had my fan on last night and I was only sleeping under the sheet. I woke up and had to turn my fan down because I was a bit cold, which was a lovely thing to have to do. Yeah. I, I, I've kind of dodged the main... It's still fucking hot. It was like 32, but I've dodged the main the main bulk of it. But I've had to shut the windows and doors to record this podcast because of the wind and um, I'm not thriving. That's the... Yeah, that, that's been the thing that I was concerned about. Is that, yeah, windows and doors are shut, obviously, to try and dampen out all the noise. Um, but yeah... Um, Interestingly, uh, talking obviously about some hot countries, uh, it's just a bit of a side tangent. Uh, we are number 74 in um, the United Arab Emirates for documentary podcasts. So uh, that, oh, yeah. that's a hot country. Go on, UAE. That's a hot country. Hi, guys, if you're listening. Yeah, it's the fucking desert, though, isn't it? It's meant to happen. It's meant to be hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, a few days ago, anyway. Uh, we were number 69 in the UK. For documentaries. Oh, big up UK. Go on. So, Everyone's listening to their podcasts. Yeah, support support your local podcast. Yeah, 69's a funny number as well. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> tangent over. We've, we've spoke about the weather like true British people should. Um, oh, I can't not. <laughs> Uh, I, I found a thing uh, so again another tangent here we go um, there's, uh, there's a YouTube channel that I follow and uh, on one of their episodes they're talking about things that British people do that think is normal but to outsiders it's not normal uh, and one mm -hmm. of them was uh, how we greet one another and it like the writer's really good on the show and he's like saying something like if you was to like if you're not from the UK and you come over and you meet someone from England um, chances are you're going to be very confused by the first thing they ask you because they'll just come up to you and go all right and you think that's a question yeah, that but it's not <laughs> no it's not if someone comes up to you and goes you're right they don't give a fuck that they're saying hello yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is a thing that even for british people we can sometimes struggle with so if you're from the north you tend to not greet people that way but it's more of a southern middle midlands thing so if you greet someone you'll go you're all right and the answer to that is you're all right and that is the conversation done. Yeah, that's. but it says so much and so little. <laughs> Just before we begin talking about British culture, we've been going on about how fucking hot it is. I'm, I'm sat here with a cup of tea. Oh my God, James. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, but I'm enjoying it, which is the weird that's thing. That's brutal. Yeah. Well, enjoy that. Anyway. Um, right, so let's get on with it. It's, it's something you've been waiting for for a long time. Mormons, part two, the feathered prophet. Okay, so... 
at the end of the last episode we did, Joseph Smith, along with his new wife Emma, had dug up the golden plates and taken them home to begin his holy task of translating the strange inscriptions upon the plates. But what are these strange inscriptions, okay? Like, it's hard to visualise because uh, no, the, any of these golden plates that you see, they don't... They, these golden plates don't exist, remember? They were taken away, right? So he doesn't actually have them, uh, and no one's seen them. It's just what he thinks... It's just what we think they look like, right? So the writing on the plates was called Reformed Egyptian by Joseph, which is a type of hieroglyphics which I think is done on purpose. See, of course, nobody living today has seen the golden plates, so we can't tell if the inscriptions were hieroglyphics, but... Think of it this way. At the time, there was almost no language in the world that could not be translated, right? We'd come quite a long way. It's, you know, just before the Industrial Revolution over in the UK and Europe and whatnot. So we'd come quite far. We, we, were, we, were, we were going on the right tracks. Now, as I say, there's not many languages that couldn't be translated, but there was Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? It had been a dead language for nearly two millennia. But that was until the Rosetta Stone was deciphered. Which, have you seen a Rosetta Stone or is it a copy of it? There's one in the British Museum. I, I was there. When was I there? A week ago? A couple of weeks ago? Um, I didn't see it, no. It's pretty... Um, it, it was probably there. I just Yeah, it's it, pretty but, like no, I don't know. out there. Like It's a big thing that they're very proud of. Anyway... My theory is that Joseph was a very savvy lad and used hieroglyphics that he'd seen to use on his plates. And when they were able to translate them, he then claimed that it was reformed Egyptian and that the Rosetta Stone wouldn't be able to help translate them. Only the seer stones that he had could do that. Does that make sense? I'm sure it did to him. <laughs> like, he's he's looking at, like, imagine this, right? Imagine, um, I don't know, like Star Wars language. You know that fucking weird letters that you see everywhere? Imagine, like, yeah. he's gone, oh, I'll just use that. No one knows what that means. I'll just write in that. Um, and then some... I did see the Rosetta Stone. I've just Googled brilliant. it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and then, so, like, someone's then gone, oh, wait, no, actually, we can translate this. This 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 means this. And he's gone, oh, fuck. Like, I've just sort of copied a bit of it. You know, like, when someone gets um, a Chinese tattoo? I have no fucking clue what it means. Yeah, and they're like, you're like, oh, what does that mean? And they go, oh, it, uh, it means peace and unity. And then someone who can actually speak, like, Mandarin or something's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Yeah. I think it's like it that. big hairy balls. Yeah, I think it's like that. So when, like, he's he's made his little golden plates and he's stamped a few hieroglyphics that he's seen, and then the fact that someone's like, no, we can actually read these now, and he's gone, oh, fuck. Um, and then if someone was to read it, they'd go, oh, it means, um, well, this is a bunch of googly gook. And he'll go, no, 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 no. This is reformed Egyptian. It's not your Egyptian. It, it does. It, that does seem to be what's happened. He, he kind of tried to pull everyone's bluff until someone smarter comes along. Oh, for sure. But unlike most men who take their hobby away to the shed or garage, since the wife doesn't want it in the house, Joseph's wife, Emma, took a very active interest in his new hobby. Now, it's not known if at the beginning she was fully invested in the belief, but she was the person who was to transcribe onto paper every word that Joseph said. Why? Well, it seems that Joseph may have been able to read, but he almost certainly could not write, so it would have been impossible. He needed someone who could put his words onto paper, and Emma was that person. 
that and well realistically she was the only person that could do it for him because not many people were sort of believing him and she's his wife so she kind of just does whatever he says so how did this go down if you remember back to Moroni's warning to Joe he wasn't allowed to show the golden plates to anyone including his wife so how did they get around this tiny little detail you know she's trying He's trying to transcribe these plates in front of her, but she can't see the plates, okay? They did it by wrapping the golden plates in cloth so that they could not be seen by eyes unworthy. But then how can Joseph read from the plates if they're wrapped up on the table, you may be asking? Mm, I do ask. Yeah. Well, in what he would do is Joseph would then have a hat, like a just a, a top hat or a bowler hat or whatever, sat on his lap, and inside the hat, he would put the seer stones, Urim and Thummim. And then Joseph would place his face into the hat until the face fit the whole thing. I hope like this is like, I hope I'm describing this quite well because the image is hilarious. Um, it's just a man sat in his living room with his face with in his a hat face. and his wife just completely going along with it. <laughs> yeah. He's just got his face in a hat and then he just sort of muffle words from within the hat for Emma to write. I just think that's such a fucking funny thing. Just be like, oh, says you've got to do... <laughs> just like... <laughs> what? I don't know who's the bigger idiot. Him no, I know. Her. And this is the thing because she knows she's married this dude and she was like, he was really like charismatic and funny and now he's actually kind of weird. <laughs> mm. Like, sorry, Joseph, he then did what? Uh, he did uh, he didn't need this no, I'm not getting it Joseph you need to come out the hat <laughs> I'm not getting it <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah he claims that what was happening was when he puts his like face into the hat right um, the seer stones were just chucking up words for him to then say being like and and then it sort of just disappears then and it sort of disappears I imagine it was like that um, mm. but Remember, the, the text written on the plates was like funky symbols that Joseph really didn't recognise. So the seer stones, of course, are there to just translate the words. But apparently, yeah, yeah it, it's, it sounds daft. And the thing that I was thinking about this, and it's one of those, I think we may have said this on the pod before or as someone else. Um, and it's like when you when you just sort of like take any religion, really, and just sort of think about it for five minutes, you start to pick holes in it. Um, I know there's there's a quote from one dude when it was he's like talking to a a, a believer of a sort and was like, um, uh, oh you need to read the Bible or something and that would make you a believer and he's like no I have read the Bible it made me an atheist. I, I yeah I, it does make sense I think all religion has holes in it and I think maybe there's stock in it I don't know I don't want to I don't want to bash people's religion we do anyway but not today but like. I think because they've been translated so often and reworded and everyone's sort of bent them to their beliefs or what they want. Like monarchs have just taken it and been like, mm, if I say this, it kind of bends it to my yeah. belief. Yeah. I, it's, it becomes so fucking confusing because there's so many versions and I don't understand how there can be so many versions of the same religion. Is God just going up to different people and just being like, this would be really funny if I tell them something <laughs> different and just watch them bicker. It's like playing Chinese whispers, isn't he? If, the, if that's the case and I die and I get up to the pearly gates and he's like, that's exactly what I did. Like, I just told everyone something different just to watch them argue for my own entertainment. I'll be like, you know what? I was, 
I, I was get having a, a rather good conversation with someone who is a very big believer in the Christian God, right? And um, I was saying, you know, I I like I want I don't believe it. I I would question everything, blah blah blah. And they said, but what if? What if when you do die, you end up at the gates and you go, oh fuck, oh god, it was real the whole time. It was real. And I'd be like, well, mm. isn't the whole point in your Bible or whatnot is that God made me the way I am? That's the whole point, right? He made me. If this is if this is true, he made me the way I am. And I don't necessarily have free of will. Course. So I would argue you made me such as this. You can't have a go at me for it. Yeah, we're all created in him, his image. Exactly. Um, but one of those little plot holes I want to just pick, pick out is that... Um, I, it's the fact that the seer stones basically are bookmarks as well as translators because remember he's just stuffing his face in a hat and yeah. the, wor- the the stones are throwing words up at him so he's not actually touching the book or the, the plates at all so he doesn't necessarily know what page he's on unless they tell him mm. so when he stops for the night and he's like oh god Emma that's enough let's go to bed and then they pick back up the next morning how does he know where he was unless the stones knew for him oh uh, yeah they are glorified bookmarks yeah, I love that fact. <laughs> now, we don't really know how long it took for Emma to be all in with Joseph's story. And really, the kind of belief is that she kind of wasn't ever all in, but she kind of just went with it because, you know, he's her husband and she kind of can't really do much else, right? Um, not that she couldn't. She's a very smart lady. But, you know, at the time, you just sort of stuck by your man. Now, she wasn't overly fussed with it all, but seeing him just come out with this story out of nowhere, seemingly, was kind of a big reason for her to kind of go with it, at least. Because you're Mm. like, well, this is just a bit of an idiot, and he's coming up with some really cool, interesting, fancy story here. So what was this amazing story that would enthrall so many? Well, James, having written an episode on Christopher Columbus yourself, you'll remember that Christopher Columbus was not the first person to discover the Americas, right? That title goes that title goes to the Vikings. Um, but according to Mormon mythology, it was themselves that first discovered the Americas. And and to to be clarified as well, they weren't necessarily Mormons at the time, kind of. It's anyway, I I I'll I'll clarify. But first, a disclaimer. Because we love disclaimers. Mm-hmm. I am very aware that Mormon mythology is more complicated than I am about to state. But I would argue that it is made more complicated to try to stop people from decoding it and calling bullshit on the whole thing. And to be clear, I would make this claim for every major religion out there for balance. But here is a simplified version of the story. Right. <laughs> Around 600 BC, a prophet called Lehi was living in Jerusalem when one night he had a dream that Jerusalem would be destroyed by wicked people. Not specified who were, just wicked people. So he, along with many other followers, left Jerusalem, crossed the Arabian desert, and when they reached the sea, built a boat and sailed all the way past India through the island nations of the Southeast Asia's past Japan and across the Pacific Ocean and eventually made land in the Americas which is an amazing feat that is an amazing feat to go from basically Saudi Arabia end to bloody somewhere on the Americas across the Pacific 
that's an amazing feat. Well played. 600 BC? That's yeah. incredible. The, the Romans were around. You couldn't do that. They couldn't cross the fucking channel. They could just about get yeah. They could just about get to Britain, and even then, they were scared of what was on the other side. Mm. Now, they've made land in the Americas. Which part? You're probably asking. Well, nobody knows. And I did watch a rather long video from a Mormon scholar who stated himself that they tend not to use maps and actual geographical locations when referring to this time, since it's not relevant to their belief. They just have to trust the word of God. Which is a bit... I mean, even in the Bible, they've got locations, haven't they? Yeah, just sort of, uh, trust me, bro. Yeah, trust me, bro. (laughs) Why would I lie? Now, (laughs) in fact, the church itself isn't overly keen on people trying to figure out where the Book of Mormon took place, saying, quote... Speculation on the geography of the Book of Mormon may mislead instead of enlighten. Such a study can be a distraction from its divine purpose. That is a direct quote from one of like the big leaders of the top dogs of the um, Latter-day Saints. Uh, the even, Latter-day Saints. He, even he's like, nah, don't think about it too much. Like, listen, don't, don't worry about the geography. It's not important. The story is what's important. Yeah, but I need to know where they went in the story. Imagine like Lord of the Rings and they were just like, the hobbits from, doesn't matter, went to, um, well, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> but they put a ring in a mountain um, that, again, it doesn't really matter where it was, but they just know that they did it. <laughs> How stupid would that be? Yeah, it's just wank storytelling. <laughs> anyway, the tribe now having landed in America began to argue amongst themselves and eventually split into two with both of Lehi's sons, Nephi and Laman, creating separate tribes that absolutely fucking hated each other. And these became the Nephites, who followed Nephi, son of Lehi, (laughs) and and the Lamanites, who followed Laman. Now, the Nephites and the Lamanites would fight for centuries, and the Nephites would be considered by God as holy people. The Lamanites, however, were seen by God as wicked and evil. So to punish them, God turned their skin red and they would go on to become the Native Americans. <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> all this is... Yes. No, so, so it certainly all makes sense. All this is is an excuse for genocide. That's all that... Because yes. these people are bad. They're like, oh, they were bad. They were turned red however long ago. Let's fucking kill them. Yes. Good yes. God. However you justify it to yourself, it's, nah, that's wrong. <laughs> and since the Nephites, who followed Nephi, son of Lehi, were holy people, God allowed them to keep their pure white skin because people remember from the Middle East two and a half thousand years ago were white. Yeah, of course they were, just like Jesus was white, wasn't he? Born in fucking Israel. (laughs) As you put it, right, James, here we almost get a justification from Smith on how white people treat Native American people and why he can loot their burial grounds. They are wicked people who were punished by God. Because apparently God's a racist. I mean, looking back through history, yeah, probably. (laughs) I just love that. I don't like you, and so I'm going to turn your skin red. And they're like, why my skin? And he's like, uh, doesn't matter. That's, that, that, it's, it's just an excuse for genocide and to, as you say, rob their burial grounds. That's all it is. 
It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. God told me to do it. <laughs> now, throughout the centuries that followed, many a war was fought between the Lamanites and the Nephites until around April or June 2 BC when Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting to, literally, I have in my script here, wait to see if James picks up on that date. The, the fact that he was born before 0 BC because the calendar resets <laughs> when he was born. <laughs> yeah, and also yeah. in April or June. Yeah, it's just sort of, fuck May. May doesn't matter. Now, um, yeah, well, that's the thing. I I was looking it up um, and I think they were saying this is, uh, in, in the Mormon story, it's when Jesus was born, blah, 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 a new star in the night sky makes itself known, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's like, obviously, we've kind of, science has now come around and said, realistically, Jesus was likely never born in December. That's not likely to have ever happened. It's realistically more April or June and yeah. not on zero. It was 2 BC. Because remember, AD does not, like, because you've got BC, which means before Christ, and then it goes to like zero or something. And then it's AD, which apparently everyone yeah. calls after death. But then it's like, but that means Jesus died at the, like, the age of nothing. After um, death, I always thought it was like Anno Domini or something. Or yeah, it is. It it's Anno Domini, and I forget what it is. I forget what the because it's Latin. I forget what the actual English translation is. But anyway, yeah. So this idea that like Jesus was born before Christ, which is ironic. Advancing age. There you go. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Jesus was probably not born in December. He was born in April or June. And the reason we've made it December was that Christians were trying to get pagans on board. Because they mm. celebrated their Christmas time and they were like, well, our Jesus was born at the same time. So let's have a big party. And obviously Santa was like, you know what? I'll fucking chime up now as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, a, around this time, a new star has, like I said, made itself known in the night sky. A saviour had come, but to the Middle East not those in the Americas. Because remember, Lehi, the initial guy, left Jerusalem because he thought that wicked people were going to destroy it. How annoyed would you be if it was still there? And not only did the saviour come, he went back to the place that you fled. That would be so annoying. Yeah, sort of wasted journey, really. Yeah. Now, remember, when Jesus is crucified, he's then placed in a tomb. And then a few days later, they check up on him to make sure that he's still dead. And then they go, oh, my God, he's not here. Right. Well, where does he go? James, what do you think? Where does he go? As far as you remember the story when you were told as a kid, where does Jesus go after then? The, I've always wondered this, you know, because it's sort of just like you never you never get to that point. I, I you, remembered it being that he's put in the tomb and then he, and sort then he of gets just, resurrected and then he comes back. Everyone has Easter eggs. No, no, no. He, his resurrection he's, is, as I believe it, his ascendancy to heaven. Did you go to a religious school? No, not at all. I'm just very deeply interested. <laughs> oh, see, see, at school, we always packed it in like he got resurrected and that's, that's where the story ends. That, yeah. That's as far as we ever made it. Yeah, because like, they keep saying that, like, oh, Jesus was resurrected. And they're like, no, his body just disappeared. Like, no one knows. No yeah. one saw him again. No one actually saw him. He just sort of disappeared. And I think the resurrection was supposed to be, oh, he ascended to heaven um, to sit by God's side. I don't know. It's very confusing. But anyway, that's the official but story. I, 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 is, yeah, he, like, he just ascends to heaven because God wanted him back. Yeah. Um, 
But the Mormons say that's not necessarily what happened just yet. It turns out he had um, he took a little gap year and he went to America first to visit those lost tribes initially from his uh, from Jerusalem. Um, he got around, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like. Oh, I'm dead now. I'm just sitting in this cave. And then he got a WhatsApp from God saying, bro, come back up to heaven. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to pop over to America first to go see some of these dudes. And then I'll come. Um, So yeah, he then goes (laughs) to America first. He wanders around looking at things, being like, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus. And sort of, you know, being like Princess Diana, just being like, hey, how are you? I'm going to touch your child's head. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm on Jesus. Um, and then, yeah, and then after that, he kind of just sodded off. So he was there for a little bit and then he just disappeared. He went up to heaven. Um, and this is like, this is literally what Mormons think this is, this is the story, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is as well, when Jesus went to the Americas, remember the Lamanites and the Nephites, the ones that are now red-skinned Indians and the ones that are pure white because, you know, they're all white from the Middle East, they all got on when Jesus came over. He was like, bro, guys, guys, stop fighting. I don't even know what you're fighting about. Just stop fighting. Let's just love one another and be friends. And they were like, yeah, cool. All right, great, great. And then when Jesus fucked off, right, the two tribes began fighting again. They were like, oh, no, fuck him. I I completely ignore exactly what he just said. I hate you, remember? And then they fought and they Mm. fought hard. And they fought to the point where the Lamanites successfully wiped out the Nephites. Remember, yeah. the, the Lamanites were, were the ones that God thought were wicked people. The, the Nephites yeah. were God's chosen people in the Americas, and he let them die. Mm. That's not good. You didn't back them. <laughs> That's not good. You didn't back them. <laughs> you got to back your boys. you got to back your boys, man. You, you left them with white skin. Come on. Now, only a few of the Nephites were left, including one person called Mormon who began to write down the history of his people. Now, unfortunately, he would die before finishing his work, so his son, Moroni, completed it on his behalf before his own death becoming a very annoying angel. Now, these Mm. plates that were written by Moroni and Mormon were the plates that Joseph was transcribing to his wife, Emma. Now, it's quite... Through a hat. It threw a hat. It's quite the story, right? And it goes much deeper than that, of course. And if I'm honest, it's a really fascinating story and I really enjoy it. Um, it's fascinating. I love religious stories and how religion came to be. I think it's really interesting. I, I do. I love it. It's, 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 it's a bit like, it's almost, because it, it's a bit fantasy. It's a bit Lord of the Ringsy, really. When you actually watch the whole story, like if you actually find, um, there's, like I said, there was a guy that I found on YouTube, this like Mormon scholar, and he describes the whole story with a map that he created, which he's probably not supposed to do, right? But it's really fascinating. And actually you're like, oh, I'm on board. There's wars, there's battles, there's betrayals. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but like I said in the disclaimer, it's even deeper than that, James. It's like Star Wars, there's sci-fi in this religion too, because like, oh, yeah. their gods are like planets and angels are living up in space and shit. And when you die and whatnot, you can you get your own planet and you get to live on it. And everyone that you marry can like live on that planet with you and your family. It's really cool, bro. It's proper sci-fi. Like anyway, this is something that maybe you'll touch in this episode or next episode if I'm overstepping time to shut up but like what the, the whole marriage thing like God expects a man to Shut'd have multiple up. wives Sh- shut the fuck up 
<laughs> right, okay. We can talk about that uh, next episode, probably. Yeah. Right. Yes, we are going to talk about it next episode. Um, now, for Emma and a lot of people, the fact that this kind of story was coming out of a simple farm boy like Joseph was proof enough for them. How could he just come up with that? Well, it seems he was quite a well-read man. And remember, he had listened to many a preacher spouting different sects of Christianity. So I don't think it's unreasonable for him to have a half-baked idea in his head from the get-go. Now, one dude who was seriously invested was a man named Martin Harris. And this story, I think, is my favourite from the origins of Mormonism. Martin Harris was a wealthy neighbour of the Smiths, and he had heard rumour about these wonderful golden plates. When he met Joseph Smith, he saw him spout words from his hat, and, well, he was hooked. But, to a clearer point here, Martin Harris is a man who thought he saw Jesus in the form of a deer, and believed that the sputtering of a candle was the work of the devil. Just right, for, because <laughs> because the wind doesn't exist. Yes, because the wind doesn't exist, and apparently Jesus is Harry Potter's Patronus charm. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, fair. <laughs> From then on, Martin Harris would be Joseph's patron, allowing him to publish his works and replaced Emma as his scribe. Together, oh wow, I know, right? Imagine that. Sorry, wife, who's been very supportive of me this entire time. This crazy she man sat there and watched her husband fucking talk through a hat and hasn't said a word about it, just gone along with it, yeah. and now she gets replaced. <laughs> to be fair, I, I bet when he was like, Listen, Emma, I'm really sorry, but like, mine, Harris, and da da da, and she's like, You want to replace me? Cool, that's fine. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, no, go, go, do it, go, do it. And he's like, Text I'm the girls really sorry, like, like, I really don't want to have to do. She's, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Honestly, it's fine. Honestly, <laughs> I've got so many better things to be fucking doing, like digging a hole in the ground and then filling it up again. <laughs> <laughs> so together, Martin Harris and Joseph Smith transcribed the first 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. And Martin was elated. Bear in mind, like at this point as well, Martin's thinking he's now part of history. He's like, I wrote this shit. Like, I've done this. I'm part of the Bible here now. But back home, eh, it could have been better for Martin. See, Martin's cousin wife, Lucy Harris, was a smart, smart lady. She didn't see any value in Joseph Smith or his weird book. She thought he was a con man preying on the naivete of Martin and was seriously pissed off that they were wasting so much money on him. So Martin tried to convince his wife that it was all legit and that Joseph was translating from the stones and even told her that he could bring back the translations and she could read it herself. You know, just just read it and you'll know. You'll trust me. You'll believe it. It will make it would make so much more sense. You just got to read it, right? Martin begged Joseph to let him take the translations home with him so that he could show his wife. And Joseph agreed. And I think the reason he allowed Martin to take the pages was because they were his payday. He needs them on side, but you know Martin's wife is the problem, so he needs her on side mm. as well. So he's like, if I can get this guy, this crazy nut, to make his wife believe him, I'll be all right. That's his payday waiting, you know? He can't risk yeah, that absolutely. going. Now, 
Upon reading the pages and listening to Martin describe how they were written, Lucy hatched a plan to prove that Joseph really was a prophet and was translating from mythical stones. She told him that she would lock away the translations and if he was being told the words by a seer stone, he should be able to translate the plates again, word for word, no problem. Mm. Now, Martin agreed to the plan and a couple days later comes running back to Joseph pleading for forgiveness, saying that, oh, uh, I've lost the texts, Um, I I don't have them anymore and I don't know what to do. Joseph was naturally furious, right? But Martin was like, no, but it's okay, bro. It's fine. You can just translate the words again, remember? Just get your seer stones, put your face in your hat and we'll just do it again. No problem. At this point, Joseph's probably thinking, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Because <laughs> he knew he couldn't spout the stuff off word for word again because he's making it up as he goes along. He's not actually reading anything. He doesn't have some script to go by. He's just kind of made it up, isn't he? So he's never, ever, ever yeah, going to be able to do it hat. again. So oh, what an idiot. he made an excuse. He said that God had spoken to him and told him that the words they had transcribed on those 116 pages were now tainted by the devil and that they shouldn't be translated again. Instead, they were to translate from a different book, which tells virtually the same story in principle, but since it's written by a different person, uh, the accounts will just be a little bit off. (laughs) So he's like, the story's the same, but because it's from a different person, the words won't be the same. Does that make sense? Like, is that okay, Martin? And Martin's like, yeah, that works for me. That's fine. But it's not what his wife wanted, though, is it? No, it didn't work for the wife. Oh, no, it did not work for the wife. In fact, they would eventually split over Martin's dedication to Joseph Smith and his Mormon religion. Uh, and at that point, Martin pretty much goes all in. His wife's like, nah, I'm out. I'm out. You're weird. <laughs> Fuck off. Clever lady. Oh, she, yeah, she, yeah, she just saw straight for him. She's like, nah, you're dumb. You're bullshit. I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, Joseph Smith would continue to translate the text, but no longer with Martin Harris as transcribe. That role would go to a new man called Oliver Cowdery. He had started out working as a treasure hunter like Joseph and eventually lodged with the family where he heard about the plates. He claimed to have seen a vision in his sleep where he was shown the plates and then offered his services as scribe. Again, imagine that if you were Martin Harris, you're fully in on this. Your wife has left you, right? Because you're like fully invested. And then Joseph's like, listen, bro, um, I'm going to have to replace you with this new guy why i don't get it why because he had a dream because he because he had a dream dude like come on he dreamt this shit Mm. have you dreamt this shit i saw a deer as jesus no you saw a deer right (laughs) this guy had a dream okay (laughs) now between the two of them they would write the book of mormon all 500 pages in two months now to put into perspective um, George R. R. Martin's uh, first Game of Thrones book is 694 pages, and that took him around five years to make. 
And that's with typewriters and computers. Joseph and Oliver are doing this by hand, 500 pages in two months. They fucking got their heads down, didn't they? Oh, man, do you want to know I think how- this is a lesson to anyone who's doing their assignment last minute. It's possible. It's possible, but for context as well, you want to know how long it's taken for me to finish this fucking series? A hell of a lot longer than two bloody months. <laughs> and I still haven't finished it. <laughs> yeah. Now, to cement the men further, Joseph allegedly showed Oliver Cowdery, Martin Harris, and another early convert, David Whitmer, the golden plates. Remember, they're not allowed to see this. Moroni oh, was like... Naughty. Bro, bro, you can't show no one. He's like, I'm going to show these three dudes like my piece. He's like, took them around the back, closed the door, and he just whipped it out, shown these three guys, and they've gone, oh, wow, look at that. That's really big. And he's like, I know it's surprisingly bigger than you thought it'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, so mature. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I say, um, they all signed a piece of paper to confirm it, and then they became known as the three witnesses. But remember, Smith wasn't supposed to show the plates to anyone, but apparently this was fine. And he would then go on to claim that eight others were witnesses to the plates. Most of them family members. Think of that what you will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, by March of 1830, the Book of Mormon had been published and Moroni appeared again just to annoy him. And he said, well done. Well done, bro. You've translated the plates. Now, instead of keeping them to prove this to the people, um, I'm going to be taking them off your hands to never be seen again. And so the plates were gone. And all we have of them is the translation, which seems dumb, right? Moroni's popped in and he's like, bro, these are the plates, but obviously no one can read them. Can you translate them into English so that people can read them? And I'll tell you what, why don't you keep the plates so then we could, you know, maybe one day translate the things themselves. Like, we're, we're pretty good at, like, translating languages. We'll figure it out ourselves. Mm. No, Morona was like, no, bro, you can't keep them. I want them back. <laughs> I wrote them. Well, They're so mine. They sent them up to heaven or something? I, I don't know. Morona sort of just took them. Maybe he was hovering up in space, went back to his planet. I don't know. So all we have of them is the translations. Now, when the Book of right. Mormon was released in general population, many people were astounded by what they were reading. It's basically old-timey sci-fi with aliens and planets. And I said before, and I'll say it again, it is genuinely quite interesting. 5,000 mm. copies were put into circulation, and it was enough to bring in some followers to Joseph Smith, who, to be fair, wasn't really expecting to become a cult-like figure. See, he was really looking for a way to just make some money. This book was uh, just a money-making venture, as far as he was concerned. His family's farm wasn't doing too good. His wife thought he was a bit of a con man and he kind of just needed this to work. He needed to make money. He didn't want to be broke. He didn't want to go back to farming on a rock farm like his dad. He just kind of wanted to live a different new life that wasn't poverty ridden. But mm. as the saying goes, if you build it, they will come. And come they did. At first, it was a small congregation that followed Smith. It wasn't so much the book that grabbed followers, but Joseph Smith himself. The fact that a simple farm boy was being revealed revelations by God, enough to write a new book, was enough for them. They wanted to be near the prophet himself. And Joseph, along with his transcriber Oliver Cowdery, baptised one another into the new faith. 
and Joseph would go on to baptise nearly all of his new congregants. Now, I've been um, trying to rack my brains about um, why it would be so popular for people to follow this new religion, right? Um, And my thoughts are that despite the other charlatans who proclaim to know the real truth, Joseph was actually being spoken to by angels, Jesus and God himself. So, so much Mm. so that, of course, he's able to transcribe the literal word of Jesus into a book. All these other people, remember in the first episode, he's like 14, he's watching a bunch of charlatans sort of just stood on the back of a wagon being like, I know the truth. And it's like, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. This dude's like, no, 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 I've actually met God and Jesus. I've met an angel so much so that I've had to write the book about it. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. I think that people who grew up reading the Bible back then, being aware of the stories of prophets like Moses and whatnot, um, and themselves having no relation to God really anymore. Like, because bear in mind, these are things that happened like 2000 years ago. And they're reading about it, but they're they're not invested anymore. But what we're seeing here is, you know, this is their moment in history. Like for the first time in a long time, they were living in a biblical era where God was finally speaking to man again. I think that's why a lot of people jumped on board. I think so. And it also seems like it's a bit updated, if you know what I mean. The the others aren't very sci-fi-y, whereas this is kind of new and cool in terms of planets and stuff. If someone told me I was going to get a planet when I died, like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, 50 or so people would join Joseph at the first church called the Church of Christ, but it would soon balloon into the thousands in the coming years and would go on to change its name to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, Joseph would always do sermons to his congregation, but interestingly, he very rarely used his Book of Mormon to quote scripture. Instead, he often used the Bible for quotes and stories, which is interesting. And I think the reason why is because he doesn't know his own book very well. Mm. But he does know the Bible very well, in fact. See, it's claimed that most of the elements and stories found in the Book of Mormon are directly ripped out or inspired from the Bible. And Smith knows this. He knows that the majority of his congregation know the Bible, so he sticks with it. Although he would go on to claim later on that the people looked upon the Book of Mormon too lightly and should begin to use it as their main religious text. I think at that point he's starting to get more invested in his own stuff and he kind of knows his book a bit more at this point. So at this point, I've mentioned in part one that there was um, passing preachers claiming to know some holy truth that nobody else knows. And oftentimes there was a small group that would branch out and set their own church for a time, but they rarely lasted. So what makes Joseph Smith and his new followers different? Well, that is revelation. Remember, Joseph claims that he has been visited by not just angels, but by Jesus and God, and that he continues to be in communication with them, where they tell him little tidbits of truth. He is the one to follow, since through him they can hear the direct word of God. He thinks he's almost like... um like a protestant pope you know the pope is the guy that's like he directly talks to god remember yeah. this this whole thing where it's like what does god what does the pope do between two and four when he's supposed to be talking to god and he's just sat in a room on his own twiddling his thumbs <laughs> um 
The only problem we have here is that the other members of the newly found church also begin to claim that they have revelations because they're just getting too invested. They think this is what he wants them to do. They're like, you know, oh, God said this, God said that. But if God's talking to everyone, what do you need Joseph for? So it just so happens that Joseph had another revelation all of a sudden from God that stated he was the true prophet and the only revelations from him were legit. So everyone else can just shut up and disregard their own revelations. <laughs> I yeah. think that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm having a revelation. Well, yeah, so am I. And it says your revelation sucks and you should just listen to mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's bickering. Now, I think this is hilarious for me, right? It's a clear indicator that he is now going all in on becoming a religious cult-like leader. Joseph would go on to have many revelations in his life to guide the church, and some of them are a bit bizarre, and we will get to those soon. Now, how do the locals feel about a new sect of Christianity starting up in their backyard? Well, you might be surprised to know that they didn't take too kindly to it. See, they saw Joseph and his followers as blasphemers and didn't take too kindly to them hanging around trying to convert others into their blasphemous ways. Threats of violence were thrown towards Mormons and Joseph was arrested as a disorderly person. Joseph was acquitted and his charge um, and, and of his, he was acquitted of his charge and was quick to send Oliver Cowdery and Peter Whitmer on a mission west to find a site that would be New Jerusalem. And they were also tasked with the mission of converting people into the faith. So at this point, he's like, listen, bro, it's getting a bit hot here. Like, I think we should probably move on and try somewhere else. So could you like fuck off and go find somewhere that's, uh, you know, there's not that many people, but like there are enough people we could maybe convert them, live there, problem solved. That was the plan. Mm. Now, still receiving threats of violence, Joseph happened to have another revelation. See, he was told that the Mormons should leave New York, where they're getting quite a lot of bad press now, and head to Kirtland, Ohio, which is a little coincidental that he gets this revelation all of a sudden. And leave they did, and by 1831 were beginning to settle into their new surroundings. Now, in Ohio, Joseph really started to believe his own stuff. See, Ohio was an enthusiastic place, religiously speaking. There were stories of people having religious fits, speaking in tongues, and it, it wouldn't be long before people of Smith's congregation began showing these symptoms too. A man named Newell Knight started to have convulsions and believed that it was the devil causing this to happen. So he went to the only person who could help, Prophet Joseph Smith. This would make sense, right? He has the ear of God. Um, and so, you know, who better to do it? But Joseph had never done an exorcism before. He had no real idea what he was doing. So he kind of just played on his showmanship, right? He sort of screamed at Newell, commanding the devil inside to release this man and be gone over and over again. Just kept being like, get the, get the fuck out of the man. Go, just, you know, disappear get on up out of there all this kind of stuff right just screaming at this yeah. just dude and Neil Knight kind of came too and he was like whoa it's gone the devil's exited my body and it's disappeared and this is amazing and, and you've done it well done and now Joseph has a new power right he can exercise demons <laughs> and so 
he did start to believe that he could do this. And I, it's because I think this dude's just like, yeah, this dude's a bit of an idiot. And he's, he, I, I don't know if he actually was having, he, he's, dude's having convulsions. But I just think he's getting carried away with the yeah, whole yeah. moment. And like, and then Joseph said what he needed to say. And, and it's also almost placebo effect I'm seeing it as. This, it's the same as faith healers, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly that. Faith healers. Yeah. And they're like, you can do this now. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course I can. And then like five yeah. minutes later when the adrenaline's wore off and the excitement's gone. No, I can't. I can't yeah. I can't do it. It's, 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 it's all mind over matter. Like I always think if you have a cold and you focus on having a cold, you're going to convince yourself that the cold's worse than it is. Whereas if you can like take your mind off of it, it's, suddenly it's not that bad anymore. And I think faith healers and, and uh, in this instance as well. Yeah. You just sort of convince the other person that it's not that big of a deal. And they're like, oh, no, it's not actually. Yeah. And it's like, but then like for, for Joseph, you know, when like, you know, when you're watching a football game and like you make a, oh, what is it? This, it, it it's uh, someone tweeted this like years ago and it went out around for a bit. And it's like when you make a comment on a football game and then the commentator makes the same comment like 10 seconds later yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. This is Joseph Smith's moment of, I know what I'm talking about. Mm. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm the big man. I'm the big man. I can actually do this shit. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you know those, um, funny enough, you mentioned it, right? Those big church sermons you see on telly when they're screaming at people in wheelchairs to start walking again, and they do, right? Joseph would do this too. And on one of his first sermons, a dude claimed to be struck dumb and deaf, right, in in the audience, like, just like, oh, my God, I can't see, and, oh, and then his brain started to go, right? And the audience members mm-hmm. who were sat around were like, oh, my God, this is an act of the devil. Shit, what do we do? What do we do? Joseph, sort of, like, seeing this is his Spider-Man moment, sort of ripped his shirt off, had his super suit underneath. He runs over to the man, commands the devil to leave this man's body, and apparently it worked. And the dude regained all of his senses. I think this one was fake. I think he planned that one. Yeah, there's got to be like, yeah, there's setup. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, now, on a high, he then moved over to a convert whose hands had apparently been crippled and contorted and then commanded that they begin to move again. And as if their hand was not afflicted anymore. And lo and behold, right, it didn't work. <laughs> So he's just like grabbing the dude's fingers that are all bent and decrepit and he's like, move them. And he's like, I can't. No, move them. I I, I really can't. I'm sorry. I can't do Sir, it. Sir, I have an actual disability. <laughs> I actually have fucking arthritis and you're hurting me quite a lot. Can you please stop moving my fingers? Um. So at that point, he's trying and trying and trying and then he turns and just gives up on that one, right? So he's just like, oh, fuck it. And then he moves on, right? And he goes to another guy who um, claims to have a lame leg, right? His leg just kind of doesn't really work. And he commanded the guy to get up and walk. He's like, get up. And suffice to say, that didn't work either. And I just love the image of him sort of just picking him up and then him just crumpling to the floor. <laughs> yeah, you can walk. <laughs> in your mind. It's all in your mind. Come on. <laughs> Um, now that's really embarrassing, right? That's that's it's got to be fucking horrendous for him, and he's just like, oh shit, oh god. Um, and at this point, you've you've just got to accept your loss and move on. But it doesn't. It, it gets so much worse, dude. Honestly, this gets so much worse. Um, try mm. and guess what happened next. What what his next healing thing yeah, was? This is, I think, in the same sermon. Or no, actually, it's a different uh, sermon. It's a different sermon, but something else happens. It gets so much worse than what he's just done. 
so someone with a disability, I think, oh God, this is going to sound awful, but someone with like Down syndrome or something. Worse. A couple walked in. Worse. A couple walked into the church with their dead child. Oh, for and fuck's sake! And asked Joseph to resurrect the child. Nah. Now they said they they blamed Joseph for um, the child's death. Right, the child had died because Joseph encouraged prayer instead of medicine, and obviously the child died. So blaming him, they told him to resurrect the child. Now, you'd hope that he would at this point just say, look, I, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not Jesus, right? J Jesus is Jesus and yeah. he can do this shit. We all know this stuff, right? I have so many powers, but this is not one of them. I can't do that. I can speak to God, but I can't resurrect people. But no, he went all in and he gave it a go. So he's screaming at this dead child and trying to wake it up. And I can just imagine the silence in the room as he's sort of, that is tough slapping to this kid's face just being like wake up wake up and it doesn't happen fucking hell eventually the parents stopped him they called him out on his bullshit and just quit the church there and then taking their dead child with them to be buried I mean oh oh what would you do man you're Joseph you stood at the top of the altar everyone at this point is just staring at you now and you're like ah uh, hi guys you, there's no way out of that you fucked it yeah. So, understandably, Joseph was having a bit of a rough time. Not only did some of his followers wake up and smell the coffee and leave, he was facing more and more pressure from the local communities to leave Ohio. Things came to a head on the night of March 25th, 1832, when Joseph was dragged from his bed by a violent mob, some of which were old converts to Mormonism who had quit. They stripped him naked and then they decided to cover him, his body with tiny little scratches. And then they proceeded to tar and feather him. But that was not all. They then beat the feathered prophet senseless and crushed a glass vial in his mouth. Oh. And Joseph was then left for dead. Just covered in feathers and tar, crushed glass in his mouth, beaten like shit. Now, it didn't work, obviously. He survived. Um, he made it back into his home and spent the entire night plucking his feathers uh, and trying to peel the tar off of his body mm. um, and obviously picking out glass from his gums. Ooh. And then the next morning, he went to church and performed a sermon to his whole congregation like he was supposed to and pretended nothing had happened. Now, in that audience were some of those people who had participated. They wanted to see him just fuck up and fail. They wanted to see mm. how he'd get on. Um, but they didn't get what they wanted. He was like, he, ba he basically looked them in the eyes, just giving his sermon as like a big fuck you. Like, no, nah, I'm going to carry on. some big energy. Bright, some big dick energy. Like, he's like, I will not be moved. And it's almost godly-like in the way that he does that, which mm. for a lot of followers that made them love him so much more because they, they all knew, like they saw him, his skin's like red and cut and bruised and he's probably still got some feathers somewhere like around him and they're like, this dude's just like carries on. Wow, he's mm. impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. Now, after this, remember Joseph had sent Oliver Cowdery and Peter Whitmer on a mission to find New Jerusalem, right? Well, they were in Missouri and had set up quite the following by this point. But there was a problem. In a very American way, 
The Mormons of Missouri were a bit miffed that they were beholden to a dude living in Ohio. He doesn't even live there. He's not interested in what they say. So why should they be interested in what he's got to say? Why am I listening to you? A bit, you know, mm. no taxation without representation. They were like, no, fuck you. We are Mormons of Missouri and we'll do our own thing. Yeah. So with the tar still sticking at his skin, Joseph was off to Missouri to put down a potential Mormon rebellion. And that, my friends, is where we will pick back up for Mormons Part 3. I understand why he's called the Feathered Prophet now. Yay! We got it in. I like that title. Yeah. I mean, that is cool. I mean, he also tried to resurrect a dead child, um, which is not cool. (laughs) This is the thing. So, I I, I quite like, um, not you know, to blow my own trumpet for a second, sort of this arc that we kind of have as the story goes on. We've got we've met Joseph Smith in part one, and like we've got like a bit of his backstory, and realised that he's a bit of a con man. He wants something better. He wants to live a a, a life that's not poverty ridden and all this kind of shit. He's not interested yeah. in farm life and labour and stuff. And now in part two, we've got more of a. We're now starting to see now that people quite like his book. He's kind of going all in at this point and thinking you know what, I'm just going to try and make this whatever it is. It's going, this train is moving, I'm just going to get on it and see where it goes. Fair enough, go along for the uh, ride. Yeah, man. And part three, like, he's just fully invested at this point. He, he almost, like, wants to have his own nation. Yeah. Yeah, man. This dude's got lofty ambitions. He does, all because he spoke into a hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all because he spoke into possible. a hat. Anything is possible. That's the thing, kids. Live your dreams. If you can think it, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All right. So that was Mormons Part 2. Um, I am not going to lie to you and say Part 3 will be out next week or even the week before because I have not written it yet. <laughs> so bear with Fair me. Enough. Um, I'll probably do might... a filler episode on something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll get a filler episode and we'll see what we can do. Uh, we'll see what we get out there. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. James, how do you think? What are you thinking of Joseph Smith? I think he's a fascinating dude. I think he's got himself in way too deep. Um, when you're screaming at a dead infant, that's surely when you pack it in. But he, he's really sticking in there, uh, sticking to his guns, and I kind of respect that a little bit. Yeah, also, the yeah. story is pretty wacky. So the story is great. I would recommend if anyone is interested, of course, like go, um, go like look up the Mormon mythology because it's genuinely quite interesting, um, and it might it might help you like get more of a sense of an idea of like the person who created this story um so yeah um all right anything i need to add what do i need to add oh do you know what i feel like it's been ages since i've hosted i don't know but it seems like a long time uh follow us on all the socials lots of people have messaged us recently which has been really fantastic like it's been so good hearing from so many people um mr crawl was doing quite well you guys are interested in that like oh is it oh good horrendous story um yeah check out everything support the show send us send us your money give give me your money <laughs> um so, so so if anything so i can just buy some like ice so then i can throw it in a bath and just sit in it for two minutes um before it melts yeah yeah um, absolutely yeah or consider supporting the show um by picking up some merch pick up some t- t-shirts and whatnot uh leave us a review or five stars anywhere you can thank you very much everyone um we will see you on the next one whenever that is Ta-ra. Bye.
Thank you.